0: Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Um, we've all gotten really close with Tim and his girls, and uh, part of the reason we show his testimony today is to just reaffirm to us that, that what you believe about Jesus matters a lot. I mean, it's, these, these are subjects greater than that of life and death, but, but for all eternity. And so with that today, we are going to talk about the reality that love knows, and in that we're going to study 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever, does, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Please pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the spirit of truth that we find in your word, and if we love you in our very own beings and our hearts and souls, the very Holy Spirit is here. God, I pray that as we unpack the reality of some of the most um, offensive things in the claims of Christianity, God, I pray that if anybody here is offended, it would be by the very message of the gospel and not any of my silliness or this church, but God, that we would handle your truth in such a way that brings you honor and glory. And God, we thank you that your presence is here in this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated and grab your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. My favorite thing that Tim said in that whole video is when he said, uh, you know... A church and a mini mall is just not going to be good. How many of you had just thought that before you came here for the very first time when you came up and you're like, this is it? Really? The old Walmart? Okay. Well, the good news is, is, that yeah, like I'm not very good at all in more ways than one and it's not about the show whatsoever, but we serve a good God and, and we, that's what we're going to talk about this day. Um, I'm going to do my best over the next few minutes to, to talk about um, the most problematic claim of Christianity. That's all we're going to do this morning. This afternoon is the most problematic claim of Christianity and I'm going to try to talk about it in love and we live in a pluralistic society and the exclusive claims of Jesus is the thing that not only distinguishes the claims of Christianity apart from every other worldview or world religion, but also in our world, it's the thing that kind of gets us in most trouble. And so what I want you to know here at 1122 and me personally, in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so a part of what we're going to do today is just unpack the gospel and the realities of the gospel. And so if you pick it up in 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, we'll start in one. It says, beloved. And I want to stop here and just let you know that that is not just a category, it is not just a um, kind of a euphemism that John wants to call us, people that love God because we know that he first loved us. But I want you to see that, that term beloved as a command, that be is kind of like a name for God because the, the Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, which means I am that I am or to be. And this is a command for you to just be loved, that the, that, that the almighty sovereign God of the universe is a good dad. And he wants to love his kids and lavish his love upon his kids. And so 1 John is basically saying, so would you just be loved? Would you just receive this love that God wants to lavish upon you? And he goes on to say, all right, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, what he's talking about specifically in the first century and you'll remember this, it seems like 100 years ago, but it was 10 weeks ago when we started off this series, that John is an elder in his church, and he is writing to his church, and there was a group of people in his church that left the church. They were called Gnostics. They were heretics. They believed that Jesus did not physically die on the cross. They believed that, that, that the Spirit of God kind of dwelt on this man named Jesus at his baptism and left him at the cross. And Jesus did not physically raise from the, from the grave, but kind of the Spirit of God came up out of the grave. And so they had this dichotomy between the historical figure Jesus and the Christ, so the Spirit of God, the Messiah, on him. And so, quite honestly, <coughs> the, the, um, the culture in which John is writing is very similar to the culture that we live in today. People believed in all kinds of different gods, and they believed all kinds of different roads lead, led to heaven, and, and it was a very pluralistic society. And so what John says is this, is, hey, don't believe everything everybody says. But test the spirits. This is important. In other words, it's not just different philosophical views or different ideologies or different worldviews or even even different um, religious ideas, but there are different spirits that are behind these kinds of claims. And this group left the church because of it. And here's, here's why we point this out. Because you cannot rightly love God without rightly believing God. That you can't, have, um, you, you can't have twisted views of God and be able to love him rightly. And you're like, no, 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 I disagree with that. I think if you just love him with your heart, then that's fine. Every husband in this room knows that's, that's not fine. Like if I were to go home this afternoon and go to my wife Gretchen and say, baby, I love you so much. I love your beautiful short red hair and your bright blue eyes. And I love back in 1996 when we went parking behind the Dairy Queen. She'd be like, hold on, hoss. Uh, I don't have red hair. And I don't have blue eyes. And we met in 1998, and we've never been to Dairy Queen. I think you're talking about another girl. I promise you she would not feel love. Can I get a high-pitched amen from the wives? Right? Because what she would say is, if you want to love me, you've got to know me. You've got to know me. So you can't misrepresent yourself that way and me be loved by those things. And so we can't rightly love God if we don't have the right beliefs about God. That's why doctrine matters. It matters a lot. The same thing would be true like next week is Father's Day. And so if all of you, you, know, if 1.30 service got together and be like, you know what? We're the best service. We're getting Pastor Jovi a Father's Day gift. And if you got together after the service and figured out what to get, and then next Sunday you showed up with a gift. And well, we want to present this to you. We love you so much. And I were to open the gift and to pull out a Florida Gator t-shirt, I would say, depart from me for I never knew you. All right? I would not be honored by the gift. I wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, you got the right size, and I love the fit, and look at the cotton. Does it come with a free pair of jean shorts? I mean, what? No. I would say, you don't know me. You must not know me, or you would not bring me this gift, okay? The same thing is true about God. And so, what John wants us to do here is understand that that to love God is to believe the right things about God. That's why doctrine matters. Also, by the way, it's why here at the Church of 1122, I teach, we teach verse by verse through the scriptures. You know why? Because I don't want to skip over the hard part. Because I'm not going to set the agenda of what we talk about. We're going to have God's word set the agenda. Because if I just said it every week, you know what we talk about? Forgiveness every week. You know, forgiveness of what? To, depends on my week. That's what I would talk about. Hey, let's talk about being forgiven of this this week. Why? Because it would be my own personality driving the agenda. And I'm not smart enough to come up with like seven ways for you to be awesome. I don't know where those people come up with this. So what we're going to do is we're just going to work through the gospel, work through God's word together every single week. And let me just warn you of this. We live in a culture where this kind of talk, this kind of exclusivity of Jesus is crazy talk. And so, I, we have all kind of people, beware of anyone that says this, including you, the kind of statement that goes, well, listen, I, I know the Bible says that, but my God would never fill in the blank. There's a major problem here. Because if you say that kind of thing, you've just, you've just claimed that you're God. And then instead of us being molded in God's image that we want to mold God into our image, that we're trying to fit God into our lives and He does not fit He is first. He is preeminent. He is sovereign. He is king. And and if anything, we have to, you know, fit into his story, not him fit into ours. And so, Jesus is preeminent. He is first. He doesn't fit into your life. If anything, you fit into his. It, It would be like trying to fit the Atlantic Ocean into a Dixie cup. That is just not how it works. And so at the church of 1122 and i would implore you if you're a follower of jesus you do not read your bible with a pair of scissors and a highlighter and just snipping out the things that you're like "Eh, i don't like that part and then you know just only focusing on the stuff that makes you feel good about yourself and see we live in a culture that that says there there's no absolute truth which is crazy because what is that that is an absolute claim there are absolutely no absolutes what about that one (laughs) there's a problem do you not see We live in a culture where the primary sin is intolerance. And so the tolerant crowd is very intolerant of the intolerant. Are they not? Do you see the problem? That we live in a culture that says, for you to have any particular uh, religious view cannot be higher than anybody else's religious view. And yet that very claim is a religious view that claims to be higher than all other religious views. So pay attention. And so that song that Ben and Gretchen sang... um, Come thou fount, it's got a line in there, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You see, not only, that's all of us, by the way, but not only are we prone to wonder morally, we're also prone to wonder theologically, all of us. And especially, we live in a day and age when we bump up against an almighty God that rubs us the wrong way, and a lot of times, we're, we're quick to want to twist that, and John says, watch out and test those spirits. You see, the Bible says that Jesus is God, but we're prone to wonder and say, nah, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. That the Bible says that Jesus did miracles, and we're prone to wonder and say, nah, I think those are just like kid stories. I don't think they really happen. And the Bible says that Jesus is the only Savior, and we're prone to wonder and say, nah, he's only a Savior, but there's a bunch of them. That the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we're prone to wonder and say, nah, that's just like cosmic child abuse. That he just died as an example. That the Bible says that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, and we're prone to wonder and say, maybe the disciples just made that up, or maybe somebody wrote that part in later. That the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven as Lord, and we're prone to wonder and say, maybe not, maybe that's just another kid's story. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again, but we're prone to wonder and say, that didn't really happen, right? Isn't that just like uh, pop Christian fiction novels that people are into? And the Bible says that he will judge us all and we're prone to wonder to say, no way, love wins. It doesn't matter what you do on this side of heaven. Eventually, we're going to all end up there. You see, be very, very careful. John was writing to a culture that's very similar to ours and says, listen, you better test every spirit. Verse 2, he says, by this you know the spirit of God. So here is the test, okay? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit That does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You might want to underline Antichrist. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. All right, so let me unpack this deal, Antichrist. Um, This isn't the capital A Antichrist. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. You know, the guy that's in charge of the abomination of desolation. All you left behind readers are like, finally. But here's my take, okay? This is in the Bible. This is just me. I'm not going to spend a lot of my time talking about end times. Because I've found that most of the people that want to spend a lot of time talking about end times are people I want to spend the least amount of my time with. Does that make sense? It just is that way, okay? And so, if you think about this word antichrist, I just need you to split it up and look what it says. It's antichrist, all right? And there are, this just means anybody that is anti, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christos, the Son of God that died on the cross for our sins. Anything that fuels that, that pushes that, that's what it means to be antichrist. Here's the thing, in Jacksonville, I don't know anybody's anti-Jesus. Do you? I don't know anybody's like, you know what, that Jesus guy, what a jerk. No! Most people think, good moral teacher, maybe son of God, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of people that are, that are not anti-Jesus, but they're anti-Christ. That the claims of Jesus were just too much for them. That he claimed to be the son of God. And that he was the way to God. But here's what John says. John says, if you don't get Jesus, you don't get God. And you can't get God the Father without accepting God the Son. You see, God in and of himself is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. By all by God's self, he is a perfect relationship that God is love. That's what we're talking about next week, that God is love. That love is not God, but God is love. And out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, he created everything that is for his own glory. And we were created in His image to reflect that kind of love to each other and to Him. And so, there are a lot of people that say, look, I can love God and reject Jesus. The Bible would say, "Eh, wrong answer, you just can't do that. Because to reject Jesus is to reject God. That you can't get God without Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? And so, here's something that we all agree with. Regardless of your philosophy, for, with your worldview, with what religion you come from, where you were born in this world, here's what everybody I know agrees with. Something went wrong. Even Barnes & Noble claims this. You walk into Barnes & Noble, the largest section in the whole deal is the something went wrong section. It's called self-help, all right? Now, here's the thing. All of us agree that something went wrong, and all of us agree that we want to reconnect with God. And you say, but what about the atheists? They do too. They just think they're God. They are ultimate reality in their own world, okay? Now, they would be offended when I said that, but they're not here, so whatever, okay? So, so everybody agrees something went wrong, and we all want to reconnect to God. My claim is, and in the... In the, the, the claim of the scriptures the gospel is everybody wants to reconnect with God, and Jesus is the only one that gets the job done. Every, every other world view is somehow man's attempt to reconnect themselves with God, and the, the uniqueness of the gospel is that Jesus is the only one that can reconnect us to God. Now, again, the popular world view today is that all religions are fundamentally the same and superficially different. The reality is they are fundamentally different and at best superficially the same. And there's an illustration that I've heard lots and lots of of, um, pluralists use that try to illustrate the fact that nobody knows what they're talking about. Here's what the point of the illustration is. Nobody has all the information to know exactly what they're talking about. And it's called the parable of the blind man and the elephant. Maybe you've heard it before. And the description is that God is like this elephant, and we are all like blind men trying to describe what the elephant is like. And we can all only know in part because we can't see the whole picture. And so the illustration goes the first blind man goes in, and he grabs onto the trunk of the elephant. And when asked to describe what is an elephant he's like, he's like, Well, you know, it's long, and it's tubular, and it's bendy. It's like a fire hose. An elephant's like a fire hose. And the next guy is like, What is wrong with you? You were so wrong. Because he's got a hold of the ear, and he's like, It's like a big floppy kite. An elephant is like a big floppy kite, And then the next guy is like, both of you are wrong. An elephant is like a tree. He's sturdy and he's strong because he's got his arms right around the leg. And the next blind man is like, you guys are all three wrong because an elephant is clearly like a wall because he's touching the side of the elephant. Big, impassable, immovable wall. And then the guy on the end, the blind guy, he's got the tail. And he's like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. An elephant, there's none of those things. An elephant is hairy and bendy and very humid, okay? It kind of smells weird. That is what an elephant's like. And then the point of the illustration is, see, they just all have a piece of the truth and they don't know how to describe the whole truth. Now, and and, and, you know, and they say so that's what God's like. And every religion is just a description of a different part of God. Here's the major problem with that illustration. The narrator of the illustration assumes that he has a perspective on the entire truth in order to tell the story. Does that make sense? So in telling of the story, he claims to have a knowledge that the story is supposed to illustrate that you cannot have. There are absolutely no absolutes. That's an absolute. You see the problem? That any one religious view is invalid. That in and of itself is a religious view. And so the big problem I would have is the things that Jesus claims about himself. You see, Jesus, the things that he says about who he thinks he is, now you can believe him or you can choose to deny him. That's really up to you. I can't convince you to do either of those. But what you can't do is say that Jesus is just one of the options that are among kind of the religious options on how do we reconnect with God. Because Jesus overtly, explicitly said, I am the and the father are one. I mean, he just said it as clear as he could. And in, in places like the book of John, seven times he claims equality with God. Every time he said I am, I am is the English translation for the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. So when Jesus said things like I am the good shepherd, all the Jewish people they were like, "Oh, cuz he said Yahweh, good shepherd. I am God." He said it seven times, the number of completions. Not only did he say it explicitly But implicitly, in his average conversation in the scriptures, he would say things that either make you God or crazy or a liar. Those are the only options. Like in Luke chapter 10, he's talking about demons. And he's talking to his disciples in Luke 10. And he says, I remember back in heaven when I saw Satan fall out of heaven. Huh? Now, if you're just a carpenter and you want people to believe that before the beginning of the foundation of time and creation, that you were in heaven when the devil became the devil? Either it's true, or you're a crazy person. Or in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking about the prophets, and here's what he says. He goes, this is why I sent all the prophets to you. Now think about that statement. Jesus didn't say, I am one of the prophets that's in line, just like all the other prophets, to point everybody to God. That is not what he said. He said, when Jeremiah showed up, And Ezekiel, and Elijah, and Elisha, and all of the prophets in the Old Testament, Malachi, all of those guys, when they came, they were here on behalf of me. And you might go, but Jesus, aren't you like 32 years old? Those dudes have been dead for hundreds of years. What do you mean you sent them? And Jesus is saying, yes, incarnationally, I've been here for 32 years. But before all of that, I was there actually sending messengers on my behalf. Do you get it? That Jesus actually believed that he was God, and he said it. And here's how you know, in every worldview, in every religion, major or minor, in every, every list of scriptures, that all the prophets of God would always come on behalf of God and say things like, thus saith the Lord, or let me show you the way, or point to you the way, or give you a way to live. Jesus never says that. Jesus never says, thus saith the Lord. You know what he says? Truly, truly, I say unto you. He says he doesn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He goes, I am the way. That Jesus, now this is a unique claim. Jesus says that the almighty, infinite God, that the fullness of God was wrapped up in Jesus the Christ. N.T. Wright says this, modern day theologian. I'm sure you read him all the time, but I do. That's what Bible nerds do. Okay, N.T. Wright, theologian. Here's what he says. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and he walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us unable to cope with the saying of either of those condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. Here's what he's saying. Either Jesus is the almighty Lord of the universe, or he's a crazy man, or a liar, or he tricked us all. And if that's the case, figure out something better to do with your Sundays. Either this is the greatest hoax in in all of human history, or he actually is the Son of God that came to die on the cross for our sins. There is no in-between. Now again, I get it. At this point, this is where people are like... So you're saying Jesus is like the only way to God? Well, I didn't say it. I'm like the mailman. I didn't write it. You know, I just deliver it. Because I get it. It seems in my mind like if I were God, I would just call an all-skate. Okay, everybody on the dance floor, get your skates. Wherever you've been, let's go. Everybody in, all right? I, but it, it, it does not address the justice of God, the holiness of God. It does not do anything to address our sin. And so if you think the idea that Jesus being the only way, I mean, there's all these world religions and there's six billion people, and you're saying Jesus is the only way? Isn't that narrow? Yeah, it's embarrassingly narrow. You know who in history was kind of voting for the all roads lead to heaven? You know who voted for that? Jesus. You realize that? That Jesus himself makes an appeal to God for the all roads lead to heaven move. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus knows you see, Jesus knew why he came, right? He, he said, that I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. What's a ransom? To make a payment to rescue somebody. That's what a ransom is. Jesus knew, that's why I came to this earth. And so when it's about to really go down and he's about to get rested, arrested and knowing that everything that was about to happen, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he gets his disciples together and he goes, you wait here and pray. And then he goes on to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples couldn't stay awake. So if you fall asleep in church, you make a good disciple. But... Jesus got mad at him, so deal with that. All right, so he he goes on a little while longer, and the Bible says that he falls down on his face, and he feels like he's going to die. And he's praying so hard that he begins to sweat like drops of blood. And here's what he's praying. He says, Father, if there be any other way, Let this cup pass from me. The cup he's talking about is the cup of the wrath of God that would be poured out on him at the cross so that he would pay the full payment for our sin and we would get credited with his righteousness. That's the cup he's talking about. And he starts his prayer off this way. God, if there be any other way, any other way for what? Any other way for the ransom of all mankind. Any other way to pay for the sin of all mankind. Any other way to adopt your children into your family. Any other way to reconnect people with God. God, if there's any other way, let's go with one of those ways. That's what he's saying. If, if on the multiple choice, E, all of the above, is a correct answer, can we pull mine off the table here so I don't have to die on the cross? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, uh, God's, God, if you could just call it all skate, can we just go with that one? I mean, uh, if all they need is a teacher... Can we go with Buddha? He's cool. He looks super chill at the Chinese places where I eat, right? I mean, he seems like a good dude. Can we go with Confucius? He's if we need wisdom, let's go with Confucius. If he will do, let's do that. If all they need is the law, if all they need is the law, let's go with Moses. Who's better than Moses? They already have the law. If if the Hindus are right and they need a God for every situation, or if we're just going to be reincarnated into grasshoppers, until we flutter away into nirvana, let's be grasshoppers, God. Let's go with that one. Or if we just need some rules to obey in a devotional life, Joseph Smith works, Muhammad works, can we go with one of those if it's works-based? Or if what we really need is encouragement, encouragement by listening to our own self, then Oprah's on her way, she's going to be a big deal, okay? Can we just go with somebody else? This what, you get it? Jesus himself is like, oh, it's kind of narrow. God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then he kept going, not my will, thy will be done. And then what happens? He goes to the cross and he says, it is finished. And what is finished? That every one of us realize there's a problem and I want to be reconnected with God. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he's the only one that gets the job done that reconnects us with God. Little children, verse four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, that Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves goes on to say, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. You see, the world has a point of view. And and the world describes it in different ways, but essentially here's what the world says. The world says this is a performance-based system. This is a performance-based system. Maybe you've heard it this way, that God is like on the top of a mountain. And we are at the bottom of a mountain. And there are many different trails that lead up to the mountain. And it doesn't matter what path you're on, we're all on different paths, but they all have the same destination, and it's all just a different journey. You see, the problem with that is it's 100% performance-based, and it will always lead to arrogance. Sometimes it leads to religious arrogance. If you think that your righteousness before God is based in your righteous deeds, then you will be religiously arrogant. you begin to look down your nose at other people and say, hey, you're not as good a Christian as me. I mean, I go to the 1.30 service, okay? You heathens that just go to the regular ones that take up all the room, all right? That's what I do. I sponsor more kids than you do. I go on more mission trips. I read my Bible more. My prayers are better, and I don't do the awful things that you do. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. And I do not go with girls who do, okay? I do not do any of those things. Therefore, I am religiously superior to you. That's one performance trap. Or, or it leads to intellectual arrogance. Like, ha-ha, I have it, uh, evolved to a new level of intellectualism. And you billions of people throughout history have all been wrong, and now I have it all figured out. I can see the entire elephant. It's just intellectual arrogance. You know what the the gospel? The gospel says, yeah, God is up on the top of the mountain, and we are at the bottom of the mountain. But the reality is, none of us can make the climb. None of us can make the climb. We've all tried, and we slip, and we fall back down to the bottom. And we try harder. And we get spikes on our boots. And we get those little hatchet things that look cool. And we do blaze and ropes. And we try our best. And we try this path and that path. And none of us can make the climb to the top of the mountain. And so what the gospel says is quit climbing because God loves you so much that you don't climb your way up to heaven. But heaven came down on a search and rescue mission. That God did not send down a mountain climbing instructor. He sent down a search and rescue team to save us. Therefore, there is no room for arrogance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this rubs against our world like nothing else. Because what our world teaches and what our world wants to believe it is it doesn't matter what you put your faith in. All that matters is that if you have faith, let me tell you, test that spirit. That spirit is not from God. It is not that you have faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. You see, um, when we lead mission trips to Jamaica, I take, I take the people take you to this place called Blue Hole. It's pretty awesome. It's like you can go cave diving and cliff jumping and all of this sort of thing. And, and, and you start off kind of little, and the cliffs get bigger and bigger. It's really great. And, and so at kind of the end of the day. They take you to, I think it's like a 25-foot cliff or whatever, right? And you're standing on the edge of the 25-foot cliff, and 25 feet doesn't sound like that big a deal until you're at the 25 feet looking down. It seems enormous, all right? And here's the thing. If you jump to the left, You will jump out into this beautiful crystal blue water. And we do it over and over and over and over. And it's fun and it's safe. And it's, I mean, it might not be safe. But it's fun and it's, you know, it's awesome. If you jump to the right, there are rocks. And I'm pretty sure you'll die. Now, what our world teaches us is, it doesn't matter where you jump. Just have the faith to jump. Jesus would come along and say, no, wrong answer. It's not the fact that you have faith, it's what you put your faith in. It's not the fact that you do jump, it's where do you land that matters. Or another way to think about it, if I jumped off and I got into the water and I hurt myself and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm treading in the water and I call up to Gretchen, Gretchen, I'm drowning here. I need you to help me. And she would go, okay, 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 I got two options. I can throw you a rock or I can throw you a life vest. What do you want? And if I were to say, it doesn't matter, I have faith in either. One of them going to kill me, one of them going to save me. I hope that makes sense. You see, what the gospel is, is not that just faith saves you. It's not that there's many paths that lead up to one place, but that none of us can make it up any of the paths, and that's why God came down on a search and rescue mission. The gospel is always so unique because the gospel does not teach escapism, but redemption. That the gospel doesn't just give us fire insurance so one day we can, you know, live up live up in heaven and some kind of, you know, a bunch of angels fluttering around and stuff. But if you, if you read to the end of the Bible here, if you're brave enough to like Revelation chapter 20, what we find out is that God is going to redeem all things, all things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You know what that means? That means while we're here, we're supposed to work to serve the community that we're in for human flourishing, because God's not just going to wipe it out. He's going to redeem it all. And if there's a new Jerusalem, you know what that means? There might be a new Jacksonville. With the Jags win every single week. Therefore, praise God, we're praying, right? Therefore, what we are called and commanded to do is not ignore this world, but serve this world because of the gospel. So in the gospel, there's no place for arrogance. It should drive us to humility because God came down from heaven. There's, There's no place to make it all about us, but we're supposed to serve one another. And the gospel teaches us that when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, that God in the flesh loved those who hated him. So even if we are rejected by this world, then what we are taught to do is to love them, love one another. And here's what's crazy. That while Jesus is hanging on the cross and he loves everyone, everybody at the foot of the cross, you know what that teaches us? That there's one God from every, for everybody. Like, hey, what if I grew up in Iraq or India or South Carolina? Great, one God for all of us. Regardless of our background, regardless of where we're from, regardless of what we grew up believing or not believing, that there is one God for us all. Verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now again, part of the reason he's bringing that up is there were a group of people that did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, and they left the fellowship of their church. You see, unity at the church of 1122 is a big deal. But we're not trying to be unified around unity, we're unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where our unity is. And that unity is a byproduct of all of us loving God because he first loved us by sending his son to die on the cross. That's what we're unified around. By the way, that's why you hear the talk of covenant membership here a lot. Here's what covenant membership is. We want to ask anybody in here that loves Jesus, that surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, and you would like to make eleven twenty two not just like an event that you attend, but 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 you begin to own the mission, vision, and values, we would like, like to ask you to take the steps to become a covenant member. And let me warn you, it'll be the worst membership you've ever signed up for in your life. Because you don't get anything from it. No towel service. You don't get any like special parking. You don't get like a special keychain that lets you in here early or anything like that. In fact, we will only expect things from you. If we see you as a covenant member parking up front, we be like, what are you doing? You better park on the other side of Hope's Closet. You understand? So that our guests can have the front row parking. But we need people that are committed to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to link arms with brothers and sisters here that, that make up the church of 1122 so that it will always be a movement for all people To discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, all these spirits are not the same. And so, here's the point. Here's what Jesus said. And again, you know, is this offensive? This turns out to be the most offensive thing Jesus said. Which is crazy because he said some other stuff that was crazy. He said one time, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And I've never heard CNN do a documentary on that, all right? But this exclusive claim of Jesus is the most problematic thing in our culture with Christianity. And Jesus said this. Now, now you've got to know the context a little bit. He gets his disciples together. He's doing communion. And then he says, um, don't let your hearts be troubled, okay? I'm going to go away. But where I'm going, I'm preparing you a place. And if it were not so, I wouldn't tell you this. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to take you to that place. And in my father's house, there's many rooms. It's a mansion with many rooms. And I'm going to get one of the rooms ready for you. And you guys know the way. And then Thomas, which we all know is Doubting Thomas, which is the most bummer nickname for anybody, right? I mean, think about it. We're going to get to heaven. We're going to meet Thomas and be like, you're Doubting Thomas. And you know, he's going to be like, really? I doubted one time. I asked one question, all right? How can it be denying Peter, all right? But, but why do I got to be Doubting Thomas? But he asked this question. He's like, how do we know the way? Lord, we don't know the way. That's what he says. And then here's how Jesus answers. And Jesus says to him, to him there's Thomas. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus states it in the positive and in the negative. So Jesus does not say, like every other prophet, I'll show you the way. I'll teach you the truth. I'll give you a better life. That's not what he says. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So he states it in the positive. And then he also states it in the negative. And no one comes to the Father except through me. To which I know all of us are like, no one? Really, Jesus? Like the whole world has to come just through you? Yes. Now, kind of when I was growing up around church, um, (laughs) people told us to ask people, if we wanted to share faith with people, to ask people this question. I... I'm not going to encourage you to do it because I think it's kind of weird, but to ask people, if you were to die tonight and you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you in heaven, what would you say? My, I would just encourage you, if you're talking to an absolute stranger that you never met before, you probably shouldn't talk about their death. You know what I mean? It gets kind of weird, especially on a plane. Like you just lean there, hey, if you're about to die, you like, what do you know? What do you know? All right, so I wouldn't do that. You might get arrested. But it's a legitimate question because the answer to that question lets you know what you think it takes to go to heaven. The majority of people in Jacksonville would answer this way. Oh, yeah, yeah, God would let me in heaven. If he asked, well, why should I let you in heaven? My answer would be because I'm a, I'm a good person. That most people around where we live here, most people believe that the good people go to heaven. You know, God's a good God, and it's probably a good place, and that's what happens. Good people go. Um, I think that most people haven't really thought through the implications of that. Because if, if you think that good people go to heaven, I got some questions for you. First of all, how good, right? I mean, we're talking about kind of a big deal all of the rest of eternity, all right? And, and everybody spends forever somewhere. And heaven sounds pretty awesome, and hell is hot, and forever's a long time. So you might want to get this one right. And so you got to ask yourself, so how good? And here's what everybody thinks. Uh, this good, <laughs> this good. Now, I don't know exactly how good, but I know at least from here back, all the rest of y'all, y'all can go to hell, I'm going to heaven. This From here up is good enough, right? Well, here's the problem. How how do you know? I mean, how do you determine what's good and what's good I and not good? What's the standard? I mean, where do you go? It seems like if good people were going to heaven, God would give us a list of things and say, these things are good and these things are bad, which a lot of people that grew up around church would be like, oh, that's the Bible. The Bible is our standard for living. It tells us what's good and what's not good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know what Jesus said? He said to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you're like, oh, that's not good. Can we find another one? Yeah. He said, if somebody steals your, your shirt, also give him your jacket. Like, hold on, hold on, okay. All right, let's get... Anybody else in there? You can go to the Old Testament. A lot of people will say this. Oh, yeah, the standard is the Ten Commandments. Well, here's the problem with the Ten Commandments. Nowhere in the Ten Commandments does it say anything about obeying the Ten Commandments gets you into heaven. Remember? We did like six weeks on it or something. Nowhere. And then Jesus comes along and says, none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. That all of us has broken every one of the commandments. So what Jesus says is that, hey, nobody's good. Well, that's not good, especially if good people go to heaven. So it's hard to find a standard. Also, this is bummer. If I were to ask you, okay, if good people go to heaven, even I give you that, how are you doing? You'd be like, uh, oh, I don't know. Because, right? Because it seems like God would have the decency if he was only letting good people into heaven. seems like he would have the decency to send you a progress support, wouldn't he? But let me ask you, how are you doing? Where are you on the scale? Because the reality is, some of you old people, you might as well give up now. If good people go, (laughs) you don't have enough time left to make up for the 70s and 80s. You don't. You remember them? You're like, not that much. I know, that's what we're talking about. That if you're bad, you might have so much bad in your past that you don't have enough good left to make up for it. Do you see it? If it's kind of a scale thing, you might as well just give up now. Okay? So hopefully it's not that. So where's the progress report? And what's the grading scale? Is it like 51%? Does that get you in? You know, is it 50-50 and you just do one more good deed? Or does he do it like on the, you know, high school scale, 70 and above? Maybe that's where we got it from. It was like preordained that 70 was passing. And if I ask some of you guys, so what do you think the scale is? You real fair people would be like 99.9%, right? You know what it costs you to be a Christian? Everything. That's how some people are. And then you kind of grace mercy. People are like, nah, he's probably good with about 10 or 11%, you know? So we don't even know what the grading system is. Can you imagine signing up for a class and he told you in the first day, they said, hey, there's going to be a final exam. I'm not telling you what the subject is and I'm not telling you the grading scale. Good luck. You'd be like, yeah, I don't think this is fair. That's what the good people go to heaven deal does. And how about this one? This is where it gets serious. And there's no assurance. How do you know? If good people go to heaven... And you don't know the standard, and you don't know the progress report, and you don't know the, the scale on which God grades. How do you know? And remember, the whole point of First John is the assurance of our salvation is not in our good works. the assurance of our salvation is in Christ's finished work on the cross. So this is when it gets real. This is why Tim's video was so real. Is that every single one of us, if you haven't already done this, at some point you're going to stand at a graveside of somebody that you love. And if, and if you believe good people go to heaven and somebody asks you, so what do you think? You think they made it? At best you go, hope so. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Whenever God takes me, I'm going to die. And, and we're going to have a funeral for me. And y'all are going to dig a hole and put me in a box and throw dirt on me and come back here and eat potato salad. And I'm going to tell you what, you better be at my funeral. All right. I want to pack this place out. And at all of our locations and every video video venue we have, I want all of you here. All right. All of you here. And, And we can sing songs and whatever. And I want you to cry your face off. I mean, cry like an eighth grade girl that just watched the notebook. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Pastor Joby. I mean, cry, stand up and just do that stink face. I'm like, oh, all right. I want you to cry. But don't cry for me, cry for you. Cry for you because you're going to be sad and be like, my life's not complete without him anymore. Whatever you want to believe, cry for you. But don't cry for me because guess what? I'm not going to be here. I'm going I'm not going to be here why? Because I know that I know that I know that I'm going to be face to face with Jesus not because I picked the right path and climbed up the mountain to get to the top but because I was incapable of climbing up the mountain and so Jesus came on a rescue mission for me and it's not that I used to be good I mean I used to be bad and then he made me good I used to be dead and then he made me alive and that's where my assurance is not in how good I am. You see that's why that's why the good people go to heaven not a good deal at all. In fact, if you read through the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach good people go to heaven. In fact, some really bad people go to heaven. Really bad. You See, God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make lost people found. He came to make orphans adopted into the family. We're not talking about good and bad. We're talking about life and death and eternity. You see, in the scriptures, bad people go to heaven at least there's one I know of for sure, without a doubt. If anybody in the Bible made it to heaven, I know this dude did. Remember when Jesus was crucified? If you grew up in church, you know the story. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Criminals, murderers, insurrectionists, terrorists. These are bad dudes. and they were, And they got a death sentence, and they deserved it. These are bad, bad men. And one of the criminals on his right says, if you really are the son of God, then save yourself and save us with you. And then the dude on the other side, also a criminal, also deserved to be there. He's like, bro, do you know who you're talking to? This man is innocent. We deserve this punishment. He does not deserve it. He understands that this is an innocent man dying. And then he says these words to Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you go before your father in your kingdom today. You see, he realized that Jesus was dying on behalf of other people, an innocent man that came to pay the price for others. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, all right, but you got to be better. And you know what the guy didn't say? The guy didn't say, all right, from now on, I promise, I'm going to be awesome. No, you're not. You're not going to do anything but hang there until you're dead. That man was bad and never got good. He never had the opportunity to do one good thing in his whole life, right, for the six remaining hours of his life. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because when Christ died on the cross, it counted even for that bad man. That whoever surrenders their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't go from bad to good. You go from dead to alive. You go from lost to found. You go from lost to being saved. Forgiven of your sins. And made holy and blameless in him. And so. You see Jesus being the only way. It might actually be the most fair system there is. Here's why I say that. And you're like how could you say that? You mean there's just one way in? Here's why. Did you know In Christ. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited to heaven. Everybody. You mean everybody? Everybody. But what if you grew up believing this? That's fine. You're invited too. There's no caste system, nobody gets a head start. Everybody is invited. That's why this is a movement for all people. Because whosoever believes will be saved. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Get that? Everybody's invited. Not one person in here is disqualified. And if you're like, well, you don't know what I did last night. It don't matter, because I know what Jesus did at at Golgotha. And that's what salvation is. Everybody's invited. And everybody gets in the same way. Everybody gets in the same way. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. Regardless of your background, regardless of how bad or good you think you are, everybody gets in the same way. Nobody has a head start in the third thing, and this is the best part. And the price has already been paid. The price has already been paid. That the assurance of your salvation is found in the finished work of Christ, not what a good mountain climber you are or are not. Not the amount of your faith, but the object of your faith. And so, what the gospel teaches us is this, that we all agree something's wrong, we want to connect with God, and Jesus is the only one that gets it done, the only one that gets this done. Now, if you want to reject Jesus, that's fine, you do whatever you want to do. But what you cannot do is just say Jesus is one of the many options like all the other worldviews. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Ready? In mere Christianity. If you haven't read mere Christianity yet and you're going to attend this church, you probably should. I quote it about every third week, okay? He says this. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall on his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense. About his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I wanna show it to you one more place in the scriptures and then I'm done. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. It's toward the end of Jesus' life. There's only three more chapters in the book of Matthew. Jesus is about to get his disciples together and go over what we know as communion or the Lord's Supper. And it's a demonstration of the gospel that it, they take, he takes the Passover meal and he shows them, look, 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 I'm not another lamb of God that comes to cover sin for a year, but I am the lamb of God that through my life, death, and resurrection is going to take away sin for anybody who would believe. That's what, the, that's what the bread and the cup are all about. And so if you pick it up in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, it says this. It says, when it was evening, he recli- Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. Those are like the disciples, okay, the main guys, the twelve main guys. He reclines at the table with the twelve. And as they, were sit, as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus is being prophetic. He knows what's going to happen. He knows Judas is going to betray him. And so he says, sitting around, one of you is going to betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? That word Lord there in Greek is kurios. And so one at a time, they begin to go around the table. You know, you've seen the picture. They are all got on one side of the table for the picture, right? So there they are. And at one at a time. And Matthew is like, is it I, Lord? And then Thomas, master, king. That's what that word means, master, king, first place. Is it me? James, is it I, Lord? John, Lord, is it me? Eleven times they go down the road. Lord, is it me? Am I going to be the one that lets you down? Is it me, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 25. And then Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? That's a subtle difference. It has an eternal difference, though. You see, you see, Judas was pro Jesus. He was just anti Christ. See the difference? He's pro-Jesus. He was one of the disciples. He believed he was a great moral teacher. The the term rabbi is a a term of respect and honor. He thought, man, this guy's smart. This guy knows stuff. I love that story about the dad, and he's got the two kids, and the one kid runs off, and he comes back, and then they have a party. I mean, he's pro-Jesus. He was there when they handed out the fish sandwiches to 5,000 people. He was there. He was there when Lazarus came out of the grave, and he was like, this is great. He was the treasurer for, like, Jesus.com. He had an official title in the Jesus movement. He was pro-Jesus, but here's the problem. Every one of the disciples knew Jesus as Lord, except one accepted him only as teacher. And he betrayed him. He was led by a spirit. The Bible tells us it was not the spirit of God. It was the spirit of the temple so I ask you, I ask you, you believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. Not only that Jesus was a historical figure, but that Jesus is who he said he was. That he came on behalf of sinners like me and you on a rescue mission to die on the cross. And God made him who was without sin to be sin for us. And we would be made his righteousness. That we would be adopted into his family. That we would believe that when he died on the cross and he said it's finished, that he accomplished the job for us to be reconnected from God. Please, 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 don't just be pro-Jesus and anti-Christ, but be pro-Jesus Christ and know him as Lord. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious heavenly Father, God, we love you so much because you loved us first. God, I pray if anybody in here is offended, Lord, at least be, be, let them be offended by the message of the gospel, by what you believe about you. And God, I pray that your word would land on fertile soil, God, I pray that even right now, even without a formal invitation, there would be men and women and students in this place right now that would surrender their lives to you. That maybe for the very first time they'd say, okay, God, I get it, that you're Lord. Not just rabbi and teacher, but Lord. and God, be Lord of my life. Jesus, I would pray that all of us would realize that none of us had the ability to make the climb up the mountain, but that you came down the mountain on a search and rescue mission for us. And we love you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to respond to what we do. We respond to the gospel. We respond to who God is and what he's done. We're going to sing this incredible song. We started singing it last week. It's, a, it's a, um, kind of a tweak of the Nicene Creed written in 325 A.D. It's about what we believe because love knows. And what we believe matters for eternity. And then we'd also like to invite you, if you want to, to come down to the altar and cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And if you're a regular here at 1122, then now is the time when you bring God your first and best because he first loved you by giving us his best in Jesus. So you bring your tithes and offerings. You can do it in the giving boxes, the giving kiosks. You can do it on our our app online. However you want to respond, let's respond.